very simple, beautiful line from Thich Nhat Hanh. He said, uh, no mud, no lotus. And this just encapsulates, highlights the, the deep uh, interdependence between the enormity of suffering in this world and the awakened heart, enlightenment. That, uh, that enlightenment is not separate. In fact, it's born of the suffering of the world. And when I think of the, the Buddha, Buddha, I don't know if you've heard this one story, and I'll probably ruin the story the way I tell it, but he came upon some monks who were just hanging around, and there was a, a monk who was vomiting and shitting, and no one was doing anything for that monk. And the Buddha said, well, why would you? He says, you will attend and honor me, but you won't do a thing for this monk. You know, there's something wrong with this picture. This is, that, per, that monk is me. And you know, Jesus said the same thing. He said, I'm the, I'm the person who has been hungry. I'm the person who's been thirsty. And people are standing around and said, we've never seen you hungry and thirsty, but, but he and the, the Buddha are completely, 100% identified with those who are, who are in trouble, those who are in pain. So the whole of the practice is actually turning toward and merging with, being one with the not romanticizing, but being one with the truth of the way things are, the truth of the enormity of suffering, that, that inevitably as we turn toward it, and even if, we, even if we don't, there's just sorrow. There's just so much sorrow, so much loss, so much grief, lamentation, and of course, the question is, how can I relate to those feelings? As you may be able to tell, the reason I'm talking this way is because we've we just had another wake-up call. Bombing in Beirut, bombing in Paris, the bombings everywhere, and the, the, the response the human, although innocent, but the response when it's driven by ignorance to add more fuel to the fire, do more killing. When you contrast that with when you think of Jesus or the Buddha who sees that person who's suffering and sees the perpetrator as himself as well and says, hatred never ceases by hatred. 
by love alone. And the whole, the center of the Eightfold Path that was considered the ground of the, of the path of awakening is non-harming. The first element of that path of non-harming is the first precept. Do not take life intentionally. Do not cause harm. Because we are all sentient beings, beings with consciousness who are alive, want to live, want to be happy, love being alive. And that is a, the weight of the karma, the effect of intentionally taking life is so enormous. Actually, we don't even have to wish harm upon them the people who are perpetrating these absolutely lunatic acts. They've cooked their own goose. But they also need to be stopped. But nevertheless, um, the, you contrast this religious view that, that can in any way justify taking life as a method for bringing oneself relief, bringing freedom, bringing transcendence. Contrast that with the, the basic sense. Do no harm. Do not take life. thought I'd read a little bit. This is, some, this is a, from the Eightfold Path. Because the first part of the Eightfold Path, just for those of you who are not so, cons not so up on the teachings, first element of the Eightfold Path is wise um, action. Um, it's, wise, it's all about action, but it's wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. But within wise action, it, the central element is to uh, abstain, it, it's, abstain, it's abstaining, it's not doing those things, it's knowing that humans have a tendency to harm themselves and each other, so it's to abstain from killing, abstain from taking that which is not offered, from stealing, and abstain from all kinds of other exploitation, uh, causing harm with your speech, body, speech, or mind. But here's the one on speech, abstaining from taking life. Herein someone avoids taking of life and abstains from it, without stick or sword, conscientious, full of sympathy. He or she is desirous of the welfare of all sentient beings. If you think of that desire for the welfare of all sentient beings, it doesn't exactly sound like the, the Isis does it. Desire for the welfare of all sentient beings. Abstaining from taking life has a wider application than simply refraining from killing other human beings. Precept enjoins abstaining from killing any sentient being. A sentient being is a living being endowed with mind and consciousness. For practical purposes, this means human beings, animals, insects, 
Plants are not considered to be sentient beings. Though they exhibit some degree of sensitivity, they lack a full-fledged consciousness, the defining attribute of a sentient being. The taking of life, this is from Bhikkhu Bodhi, I like this very much. The taking of life that is to be avoided is intentional killing, the deliberate destruction of life of a being endowed with consciousness. The principle is grounded in the consideration that all beings love life and fear death, that all seek happiness and are averse to pain. The essential determinant of a transgression is the volition to kill, issuing in an action that deprives a being of life. Suicide is also generally regarded as a violation, but not accidental killing as the intention as the intention to destroy life is absent. The abstinence may be taken to apply to two kinds of action, the primary and the secondary. The primary is the actual destruction of life. The secondary is deliberately harming or torturing another being without killing him. So this is, this is the bottom line. It's do no harm, take no life. And it's considered, if you don't have this down in your life as a, as a value, trying to, to meditate, trying to wake up. He says, one person said, trying to do anything wholesome in your life, if you've taken life, is like trying to, to row a boat and not untying it from the dock. Just goes nowhere. It's it's such a, a weighty karma. So I think to me this is, you know, there's how do we relate to so much sorrow and fear? How do we relate to so much fear? Because that's the, that's the intention behind this particular killing is to, one, maximize the amount of death, and two, to, to intensify the feeling of terror and fear. Any of you been feeling afraid or any terror from this? Maybe it doesn't, maybe since it's so far away it doesn't feel like it touches you. I don't know. But there's, people are afraid. Afraid of it coming on our shores and just afraid of what, the way the world is unfolding. So people are living with a lot of sorrow, a lot of, a lot of fear. And, what we ordinarily do with sorrow and fear is we, we tighten up, become very constricted, very contracted, and that contraction often then gets projected onto to those who are causing harm. You know, that our mind goes into blame and anger, and, and, and we start dropping bombs, and we start, you know, just stirring up hatred and, and the, you can see the whole the media frenzy and unfortunately that does not heal the systemic issues that give rise to the ignorance the greed and the hatred that give rise to actions like that and so if we're just if we just contribute our own version of greed hatred and delusion we're you know, our practice Again, it's like trying to row our boat and not untying it from the dock. We just 
Just keep feeding the causes of suffering. So it's very central in the Buddha's teaching, besides abstaining from acting in ways that cause harm, killing, stealing, sexual exploitation, causing harm with our speech, causing harm by having our consciousness so, so dulled and confused from excessive, you know, whatever excessive drugs, alcohol, or other addictions that we may be involved in. Besides abstention, actions, we also have to have understanding, we have to have wisdom, and we have to have compassion. And how does compassion grow? Compassion grows through feeling our pain, through feeling the sorrow, feeling the grief. I'd like to revisit a, a, a passage I shared a while ago from Sam Keen, who is a theologian and psychologist, and his, uh, his book, called Faces of the Enemy, Reflections of the Hostile Imagination, shows how hatred, propaganda, and warfare feed a hostile imagination. He urges us to find an alternative to the idea of redemptive violence and the warrior mythology. In this excerpt, he discusses what we might do to counter our tendencies toward cruelty and revenge. How are we doing? with me? You can tell this is a popular topic. <laughs> to lessen the, the quantity of cruelty and sadism, we must learn to listen to the cry beneath violence. The victor must hear himself in the victim's cry. The winner feel himself in the humiliation of the loser. So long as we can visit pain on another, we need not feel our own pain. Anger lifts depression. For a time, purging our rage on a scapegoat relieves us of the feeling. But the need for the cleansing of the unacceptable feelings builds up and we must plunge into a new circle of violence. The only certain way out of the blind ritual of war is by learning to substitute grief for anger. Those who mourn the childhood love they never had, who treat their own wounds tenderly, learn to forgive and break the vicious circle of the wounded and the wounding. When we are unable to confess that our own parents, our own governments, our own styles of life has, have disappointed and injured us, we will inevitably create an enemy on whom we heap our anger. Every day we are not grieving is a day we will be taking vengeance. So how do we how do we grieve? It means we we stop, we keep quiet. We instead of looking outward Instead of figuring out, at least initially, figuring out what to do, which is what our mind does, what the little ego mind immediately goes into, figuring it out. What do I do? Who should I attack? Who's to blame? 
All those things are useful up to a point. But unless they're informed by a settledness of heart, by a, by a congruence, a mind settled in my body, a stillness, an ability to breathe, ability to feel, and ability to be aware, then I'm just part of that cycle of vengeance. So right now, close your eyes. Let your attention trickle down into your heart center, into your solar plexus, into your belly, the emotional centers, and just be available to whatever the weather is that may be presenting itself right now. If nothing more, you may feel a, a range of sensations. There may be a pulsing, a vibrating, a pleasantness, an unpleasantness, an uneasiness. And just sense both the physical and the emotional tone that may be present right now. And then give rise to the, some thoughts for a moment. Once you hover for a few moments, just becoming a little current with your present state, now give rise to the thoughts of the millions of refugees floating across this planet, desperately trying to find a safe haven. And notice how that, how does that feel? Many of them widows, many of them children, hungry, feet, with disease, scared. This is, this is not just them. This is you. Total identification with other sentient beings who have the same desire to be happy as you. And then we have this the, the crazies who are who would have no problem mowing them down, keeping them out of this country. We have those who are, who are unable to love, those who could care less about human life. How do they live in you? Can you accommodate those feelings? As Pesha Joyce Gertler said, finally on my way to yes, I bump, in, bump into all the places where I said no to my life. All the untended wounds, the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again, where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections. 
and I lift them one by one close to my heart, and I say, holy, holy. So notice the moment that you just take in whatever that feeling is, whether it's just fury, or whether it's sadness, whether it's fear, whether it's agitation, whether it's calm, whatever it is that you feel. That is a moment that you are tending to the, the wound that, when untended to, gives rise to, to unskillful action. Gives rise to distraction, gives rise to, to that rapid-fire figuring it out, figuring out who to blame. So as meditators, we stop and we just feel. And then, from that place of balance and ease, a greater sense of balance and ease, greater sense of seeing that we have that same vulnerability that all the refugees have, we have the same fury, capacity for fury that the perpetrators have. As we accommodate the whole range of our own feelings, then we say, well, what's the wisest action here? How do we, how do we work with this? How do we live with the understanding that this, this dynamic in the world is very complicated? It's systemic. You know, I read quite frequently from, from Maladoma Somme, which I did the last few weeks. Maladoma says that when someone in his village, and think of this whole world as a village. Last week we reduced the, the world to a hundred people. So in our village, when someone is taken over by strong emotion, the entire village attends to that person. The reason is that for the Dagara people of Maladoma's homeland, strong emotion is never about just one person but rather about the village community itself. In his or her highly charged emotional state, a certain person is understood to be giving birth to something that the entire village needs to know and needs to address. So I, I've just been, I don't have the answers, but I've been reflecting on how to be with just the transparent, you know, the very visible and uh, very close to us pain that is uh, every day in our lives and in our world. And it, I know there's nothing new under the sun here, but it, the access to the information about what's happening is right in our face. And so we can't just hide away in fear and, and dullness. We can't just blame and send the you know, military to drop bombs. We have to see our part. We're, we're a community. And at least for me, what I came to today was that it, it was like, a, in my own mind, I was just going to double down on the precepts. At least I can, I can be a little, my counterpunch is to, is to practice non-harming, is to is to re reflect on the precepts over and over again. So I thought I would read, because they're so accessible, I thought I would read 
uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's five wonderful precepts. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I vow to cultivate compassion and learn ways to protect lives of people, animals, plants, and minerals. I'm determined not to kill, not to let others kill, and not to condone any killing in the world, in my thinking and in my way of life. The second precept, generosity. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I vow to cultivate loving kindness and learn ways to work for the well-being of people, animals, plants, and minerals. I vow to practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, material resources with those who are in real need. I'm determined not to steal, not to possess anything that should belong to others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on earth. The third precept, sexual responsibility. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I vow, I vow to cultivate responsibility and learn ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. I'm determined not to engage in sexual relations without love and a long-term commitment. To preserve the happiness of myself and others, I'm determined to respect my commitments and the commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to prevent couples and families from being broken by sexual misconduct. The fourth precept, deep listening and loving speech. These shouldn't sound strange to us, but they do sometimes. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and to relieve others of their suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I vow to learn to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I'm determined not to spread news that I do not know to be certain and not to criticize or condemn them things of which I am not sure. Uh, I will refrain from uttering words that can cause division or discord or that can cause the family or the community to break. I will make all efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. Finally, the fifth, diet for a mindful society. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption, I vow to cultivate good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I vow to ingest only items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy in my body and my consciousness and in the collective body and the consciousness of my family and society. I'm determined not to use alcohol or any other intoxicant or to ingest foods or other items that contain toxins, 
such as certain TV programs, magazines, books, films, and conversations. I'm aware that to damage my body or my consciousness with those poisons is to betray my ancestors, my parents, my society, and future generations. I will work to transform violence, fear, anger, and confusion in myself and in society by practicing a diet for myself and for society. I understand that a proper diet is crucial for self-transformation and the transformation of society. So these are aspirations, and we also have to take ourselves where we find ourselves and not let these precepts become cause of self-judgment, but to, to reflect on them, to see if they're see if they if we are actually living in harmony with what's best for ourselves, best for the world, and if we're contributing to the violence in the world, the vengeance in the world, or whether we we're contributing to the healing. I assume just by the fact that you you come here, you're contributing to the healing, you're sitting, you're waking up. But I think we can we can fire it up a little bit. Kind of match the passion of these crazies with passion for awakening. Why not? Don't say you don't have time. It's all we have time for. Anyway, listen to me. <laughs> and then finally, I'll just uh, punctuate all this with the, the beautiful teaching and practice manual from the Buddha entitled the Metta Sutta. And I think we'll end on that note. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, 
free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from the dependency on sense desires, is not born again into the cycles of suffering. So may all beings awaken to the heart of love and kindness. May all beings know happiness and the causes of happiness. May all beings have an easing of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings never be separated from the sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now. May all beings grow in our capacity to meet the joys and the sorrows with balance, equanimity, serenity. And may our practice and our life and our work today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings end war in their own hearts. May all beings be liberated. Okay, good luck, soldiers. May you be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.